Welcome to the Black Cast. Yes, it is I, Christian Blatt, here for what has been far too long overdue, a, another installment of some rock talk. And if I'm going to talk about rock and roll, uh, there's only one person I can imagine having on the Black Cast to do it. Mick Jagger, but uh, we know he's having surgery, so Godspeed, Mick. But number two on the list, believe it or not, is Carson, uh, my friend Jessica, who uh, is known the, I was going to say the world over, but it's really the country over, you know, I, I don't know. Actually, you, um, I will say the world. Tell because, me more. Yeah, uh, I'm on the air with Big D and Bubba, sure. a syndicated country morning show. We're actually heard on AFN. Ah, uh, the Armed Forces uh, Radio Network, yep. or just mm-hmm. network, yeah. Uh, so there yep. you go. So you are famous the world over. So I, I sit. I, mean, sure. I sit corrected. How dare I say that? <laughs> uh, and that's because they just did a USO tour in Japan. That I feel like that's uh, that's a pretty big deal. So well, and uh, you know that it seems like that show is a pretty big deal. It is a country. It's a syndicated country morning show. I. Uh, it's. It's not in in my wheelhouse, but uh, I think it's a great place to start because uh, longtime listeners of the Blackcast will remember that uh, Carson has been on to talk about uh, some of her favorite rock bands, and uh, that is mostly what you're here for. But you're also a huge country music fan in the sense that I don't. Every time I see a Facebook update, you're either buying tickets or about to see Garth Brooks play somewhere. <laughs> that is absolutely 100 percent true. Uh, and, and, uh, the last time I, I had you on, I remember you'd seen Def Leppard somewhere around 60 times. Maybe I'm rounding up. Uh, and where's that count at now? And where's the Garth count? I want to know, you know, who's getting a little closer to the nearest and dearest in your heart. Uh, Leopard is still somewhere in the fifties. Okay. And he rounded up a smidge, but still, I mean, still crazy numbers. I understand that. <laughs> Garth is sitting somewhere in the thirties because Garth retired for like 19 years. Right. So I didn't have a tremendous amount of opportunity over two decades to go see him. So I'm trying to make up for that now. Right. And, uh, I, I think, uh, make up for it. You do. And it's, uh, it's an interesting to be able to have, you know, your foot in both of those worlds. I think that, you know, in this day and age, it's not as big a deal, but I certainly remember if you liked hard rock and especially heavy metal, there wasn't really room for your friend group to be like, oh, but that's cool that you like country too, you know? So, and you grew up in Connecticut. I mean, I know that that's where you lived when I first met you. And I assume that that's where you grew up, correct? That is correct. Yeah. So, Although, you know, and look, where I grew up in New York State is very rural and there was a uh, large uh, country contingent, but it's not where you think of like, oh, that makes sense. If you grew up in Connecticut, of course, you're going to love country music. Right, exactly. It's uh, it was a weird thing and it's a very odd story, but I tell you, it's 100 percent true. Um, You and I have talked on previous editions of the Black Cast that, you know, we met while we were pages at NBC and my father worked at NBC for Uh, 20 some odd years and in the early 90s he came home with a videotape and said yeah we're about to run some guy's special he's some country guy but I don't know he's supposed to be a big deal and it turns out it was this is Garth Brooks which was his first network tv special and I remember watching it and here was this guy jumping through fire and climbing on ladders and to be perfectly honest this looked like 
video-wise, the music that I'd been listening to, whether it was Def Leppard, whether it was Kiss, yeah. uh, it was it, the stage stuff was so on point with where my musical head was at that it was the visual that got me into him. Yeah, and I mean, Garth is, uh, you know, it's fairly well known that he grew up a big Kiss fan. I mean, when they did that uh, Kiss My Ass covers compilation in the mid-90s, I know he did, uh, I think he... I think he did Hard Luck Woman. I know he did a song on it. Yeah. So, uh, and obviously his whole uh, Chris Gaines persona was sort of a little bit more of of that sort of element, you know, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit less country, a little bit more rock and roll. And, uh, you know, I think that had a lot of people, you know, been to a Garth Brooks concert at that time and you'd seen the show that you saw on video, be like, man, I didn't think I liked it. Like, I... I, uh, because of the Dennis Miller show, I, you know, very little got to know Trace Adkins and, uh, you know, got to go see a show that he did with Toby Keith. And, you know, I thought, uh, Trace Adkins was really a lot of fun and I love his voice. And there were a couple of those songs that I knew and, uh, you know, my wife and I got to, you know, go hang out on the bus and say hi to him and his manager. So it was like, it was a fun thing. Uh, Toby Keith, I was kind of good after like three, four songs, which is sort <laughs> of like when I saw Alice Cooper with Rob Zombie, I was like, man, Zombie's good, but it's just too loud for me, man. I got to get out of here. <laughs> so. You know, that was me with Disturbed last month that um, I love Disturbed and I love um, Three Days Grace opened. A big Three Days Grace. Sure. Like, those guys are great. But man, Disturbed, I remember sitting there, I was yawning. <laughs> I'm like, I get it. Um, like, Because there's a couple of their songs that like, man, I really, really love and I played in rock radio. Sure. And then everything else, I'm like, just, uh, you know, again, it's not that it was bad. It was just, I felt like I'd already heard it. Right. No, I, I definitely uh, can can get that for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a, the that's the tough thing sometimes where the bit when the band you're going to see is the first band you know when you're just you're all in on that first band and you're like oh i kind of like the second band it's so much better when it's the reverse the second band the first band is one of like oh they're all right but man i'm really excited for for band number two you know so for sure yeah but very rarely does that happen anymore uh you know the last year i saw your your friends def leppard i saw them with journey and i'd never seen journey before so journey were going on second and while i definitely am a bigger fan of def leppard because i had never seen journey i was actually pretty excited to get to see them and i don't know if you've ever seen them with uh with arnell or or with steve perry for that matter but that would have been a long time ago and uh you know it was a it was a good it was a good pairing and it's like at first you're like Def Leppard and Journey well they both have a lot of songs that you hear on classic rock radio so I guess it makes sense for that reason only but uh you know it's it's very rare though that you get the the true like co-headlining tour in this day and age I guess Yeah it was when I went to go actually I saw Def Leppard and Journey in 2005 when they had I want to say it was Jeff Scott Soto Yeah was that, that's like that minute where Jeff Scott Soto uh, it was right. yeah and, yeah, and, uh, you know, and I was like, oh, are you going to do anything from your 80s metal band? Because that would have been great. But um, but he didn't, of course. But yeah. it was, I'll be, obviously, I'm there for Leopard. And while I thought he, I actually saw, um, was it the other Steve? Not Perry, obviously, but they had another Steve for a hot minute. Yeah, Steve Algieri, I think is his Steve name. Steve yeah. yes. Yeah. I saw that with Sticks and Ario Speedwagon. 
And again, it was a good fit. And that to me, like sticks and Ario Speedwagon with Journey was kind of a perfect fit tour. Yeah. Um, I didn't mind Leopard and Journey. I just, you know, I'm there for Leopard and uh, great. If they're doing a co-headlining, that means I get the same set list that I've gotten, you know, on every other tour, which is kind of how it was with Kiss and Leopard. Although I will still I'll always say that tour to me was so great. And part of it is because I love Kiss so much. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually the first time I saw Def Leppard. I fi- finally got around to seeing them in 2014. It just, uh, it just made sense. And I saw them, I saw them with Kiss twice on that tour. And, uh, I thought that, uh, yeah, I thought that it was a, it was a great show and they're definitely a band that they kind of have the set list that they feel they need to play, you know? And, uh, you know, I mean, I guess that's uh, that's what you get at this point. I guess I've seen Def Leppard four times now because the other time I saw them was with Poison and Tesla, who is a band right. that I know you and I both really like. But they've yeah. been kind of stuck in that, you know, first of three band slot where it's like they get the 35 minute set and, you know, they they would like go on at 655 so they could squeeze in yeah. a second, like an extra song or something. So, uh, you know, and, and I got to see them do a headline show in September uh, at a, a small venue called the Canyon Club, but uh, it, it's nice when you actually get to see a band like that do their own show where they can play like, I don't know, I think it was like an hour and a half. But uh, Yeah, they just played the Ryman here in Nashville in February, and then actually I'm going to Columbus, Ohio next weekend to go see Tesla again. Have, uh, have you uh, had enough listens of their, uh, their new album, Shock, to be able to uh, give an opinion on it? No, I just... I, I don't know if you go through this where you live, but I don't really check my mail much. And I guess uh, a copy of the album came when you purchased a ticket. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah. So I just went to the mailbox like four days ago, <laughs> uh, actually right after I got back from the Rock Hall. And it was sitting there waiting for me. And I think it had been there the better part of three weeks. It's just you know, all my bills are online. What comes in my mailbox anymore? So I was like, oh, man, I really need to. And I'd say plug this in, but I don't have a CD player in my car. I've got to figure out how I'm going to listen to it. Yeah, it's funny because uh, I I still I mean I like to you know read lyrics and you know look through the booklet and stuff like that. Like I got the new I got the new Queens right because I was going to go see them and I, I did an interview with uh, one of the guys and I was just like oh yeah it's I I'm definitely helped out having this uh, having this little book with all the words in it. You know it's yeah uh, it, it, that's the sort of thing I like and I actually when I bought a new laptop at the end of last year I was like well I need the one with the CD drive. Because I want to, I want to be able to listen to CDs. We also want to be able to load the music, you know, into my iTunes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's not as easy as it used to be. No, uh, we, I go through this at work, which sounds so ridiculous because working in radio. But my laptop doesn't have a CD player. My boss will be like, "Hey," because uh, sometimes we'll do things with older artists and we'll pull CDs. We don't have downloads from that. Sure, yeah. And he's like, "Hey, can you load this music?" Um, no, because I don't have a CD drive in this laptop y'all bought for me. <laughs> Yeah, and it, you know, it's it doesn't seem like something you'd even have to question, except they don't exist anymore. When I bought the new car, and it's I mean, it's a year and a half old now, but I was like, wait, there's no CD player in here, and there's no way to upgrade that. There's no way to get one installed. It's not like the premium package or something. Yeah, and I, I think that that's one of the things where it uh, works to my advantage that one of our cars, well, actually, both of our cars have CD players, but one of them is. 
1998 uh, Lexus that my wife's dad drove for so long, it still doesn't have like a crazy amount of mileage on it. And that has like the old like five CD changer, you know, in the glove right. box. Back in the day when you had the five CD changer and it was in the trunk, you know, that, that yep. was like great. Well, I have to stop if I want to change my music. <laughs> but, uh, you know, which was, which was always fun for a road trip. You'd think that after five CDs you would want to stop, but uh, not always. In any case, uh, so yeah, I like, I don't know, I like getting it. And uh, when the new Tesla came out, which is what brought us down this rabbit hole, there yeah. was a there was a special version that was on sale at Target, which, which it just had like three remixes and wasn't three bonus tracks. So I I, I realized that and I'm like I'm going to get it anyway. But it's really kind of one of the only places you can get actual CDs at is, you know, so to some extent, maybe Barnes and Noble, if there's one still left near where someone lives, but Walmart and Target are kind of it. Like Best Buy doesn't, like they've said they don't sell CDs anymore. They've made yeah. the decision not to. So it's, it's not as easy as it used to be. Obviously living in Los Angeles, if I really want to, I can, I can just jump into Hollywood, go to Amoeba. But in all honesty, the Tesla CD was probably $4 cheaper at Target than it would yeah. have been from Amoeba. And it was like, you know, it was right by my kid's school. I could get it right after I dropped them off. Everything made sense. But the short of it is, is that I'm enjoying it. It's one of those things where, oh, it's it sounds like a Tesla record for sure. You know, it's uh, it's they didn't reinvent the wheel, but honestly, I don't want them to. You know, no. it's it, it's definitely it's definitely a little slick. I mean, as as you know, but more for our listeners, it was produced by Phil Collin of Def Leppard and it has a little bit of that sound. But I don't think that that sound is so different from the way Tesla has sounded for at least the last, I don't know, 15 years. I mean, I think their their first record, uh, Mechanical Resonance, was was a little a little on the heavier side. But really, even by great radio controversy, I didn't feel like you know, they were a far cry from a band like Def Leppard. You know, I think that's, that's one of those things. That's why they always, I I think that's part of the reason they gravitated toward each other. They got along. These were just guys that were playing straight up rock and roll and not putting, I don't want to say flash. Cause I mean, again, Def Leppard is so slick in their production, but um, it, it was just straight blues based rock, especially Tesla. Yeah. That's always, you know, where they've been. And it's good that they, I don't want to say they stay in there. It's just that they still have something to say. They know their lane and like they're comfortable in it. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, in 2019, anytime a band puts out a new album, I always feel like, you know, a band that I like, I'm like, well, I want to hear, I want to hear what they're doing when they make new music because it's not that easy for, uh, it's not always that easy to, to hear it unless you actually buy the album. I mean, yes, you could, of course you can go online and find it and stream it and all that, but you know, it's not going to be on the radio. I mean, a lot of the times, you know, you would think like that some of this stuff would show up on a, a serious channel, but you know, a, a hard rock eighties, nineties based band doesn't really have an outlet. You know, you'll hear a lot yeah. of music from Tesla and Motley Crue and a lot of bands on like the hair nation channel, but they don't play new music. So right. when they have a, a, a new song come out, it's more of like, Oh, it's an event programming. Like Motley Crue had a whole weekend on that hair nation channel, uh, in yes. relation to their film, the dirt, which is one of several things that we're going to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I do have to tell you though, when uh, Def Leppard put out their new album in 2015, yeah. it was self-titled, and that's when I was programming K Rock in upstate New York. Yeah, and basically, okay, look, I think we've made it very aware in this podcast that at least, and I think everywhere else, everybody knows that I'm such a super fan of Def Leppard that I got that single and I said I'm spinning it, 
And I really don't care that, because I was like, hey, K-Rock is supposed to be, you know, we're new, we're active rock. Maybe Def Leppard isn't always in there, but you know what? This is my favorite band, and damn it, if I haven't been waiting how many years to give them some love, right? So I would spin it every day during one of my shifts, and all of a sudden I've got uh, a record promoter calling me like, uh, we see you're spinning Def Leppard. Yes, yes, I am. They are my favorite band. What can I do for you? And they were like, uh, just, just keep playing it. Like, all right. So yeah. Yeah, again, I was like, I'm going to show my boys some love. Yeah. I mean, I think, cause you know, I used to, when I would be working in the morning on the Dennis Miller show with the time difference, I would actually be streaming your station and I would hear you and I'd usually, you know, comment on Twitter about whatever you were talking about that day. And I would hear the show. Yeah. That's definitely the sort of active, essentially current rock with a little bit of a harder edge. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it was, it wasn't solely a hard rock station, but a lot of times, no matter where you are in the country, stations like that, like, you know, in New York, there's the one classic rock station, and they are definitely a classic rock station. They 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 don't do deep album cuts. They don't do anything new from classic artists. You know, it's like, yeah, it's kind of the same, I don't know, couple hundred songs that you're going to hear yeah. at any time. You know, all of which you would have heard on the uh, Styx Aria Speedwagon and uh, <laughs> Def Leppard tour. And yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's like, if you're going to play pour some sugar on me and love bites at least, you know, once a day anyway, well, why don't you switch out love bites once in a while for the new song? You can still play it again tomorrow. Maybe don't switch out, pour some sugar on me because you feel like, you know, your listeners are going to, I don't know what they're going to do, but they're going to abandon your station. And I don't know. I mean, I hear new music, you know, you have people who do specialty programming, you know, uh, like, uh, Eddie Trunk, who has a talk show on volume on Sirius XM, he, d- he does a show once a week and he has a syndicated show. It's one of the only places that I ever hear new music. And it's like, yeah, I could I could Google and see like, oh, what are L.A. Guns up to? But they're not one of my favorite bands. So I'll find out. I'm like, oh, they have a new album because I heard him play it. And, you know, my favorite bands, I kind of always know what they're up to, but a band like that, that I, that I was like, Oh yeah, they had some good songs. I'm like, Oh, they have a new album. Oh, they're actually playing, you know, in town, things like that. It's helpful to just sort of have that. And I don't know if the market research dictates, you know what? People aren't going to listen if you play the new stuff or if just everybody's too afraid. Uh, You being on that side of it, what did you feel is maybe a mixture of both of those things? I think it was a lot of people being afraid. Uh, I because you could say market research. People will people are always going to say they don't like unfamiliar music. However, I still maintain if you introduce it properly, and that means having a DJ, whether they're voice tracked or not, whether they're li- they're live, but having that person that's on the air, like playing Def Leppard, and it's it's an easy example for me to go to but because i'm able to hype it like this is my favorite band they've got a new album out this is the song that's coming off it and at least that way i've now told you that here's the reason i'm playing it it also um helps with listeners to feel closer that you actually care about the music because i think we've lost that a lot that you know because nobody picks their own playlist anymore outside of somebody like an eddie trunk right um yeah but even, you know, those classic rock stations, like you said, someone's just spitting 200 songs out of a computer and that's the order they fall in. It's yeah, not and, they and, decided and, they wanted to hear Sweet Home Alabama. Yeah. And if you play a, a well-known 
say Beatles song or Doors song that isn't one of those like 20 that they play. It's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I played my Michelle. No, no, wait, that's a Guns N' Roses song. <laughs> but, uh, you know, no, there, Michelle, Michelle is the song I'm thinking of. It's like you're playing a song that people know and they're going to like. And I think especially so many classic rock stations will do the, the two for Tuesday or, uh, uh, you know, uh, for some reason to be different, uh, WPDH and Poughkeepsie, where I went to college. They, would, they wouldn't do two for Tuesday. They're like, no, we're doing double shot Wednesday. Two for Tuesdays. But that's a perfect opportunity where here's pour some sugar on me. And then, or maybe even before here's some sugar on me, you're going to hear that in what, three minutes and 48 seconds. But before that, here's a new Def Leppard song because you like that song. So maybe you'll like the new one. I think that's the, if there's ever any time to play new music, it is on those, you know, those rock blocks. Sometimes they do those over a weekend. Um, But I don't know. I'm, I'm not in radio anymore. I'm just in podcasting. So what do I know? We can't, we can't license any music, not legally. And, uh, so, you know, I, what do I know? But, uh, I really just, the feeling is like, yeah, people aren't going to want to hear it, but it's like, if you're playing a brand new band and there's something to be said for that, uh, you know, people don't know, well, you have to really feel confident that, there, you know, it's it's selling well. You know, a, a band like uh, Greta Van Fleet, who's very uh, very divisive because of how much they sound like Led Zeppelin, but I don't know. People are buying those albums, so you might want to play it because you know it's it's doing well. It's it's a newer it's a new rock band. Yes, it has an old sound, but you you might as well put it in there. And I I don't know. I mean, I guess the station you worked for when you worked in Syracuse, they they did put new stuff in there and it was it was a lot of new stuff. It, it was more of a balance. But those stations seem to be uh fewer and further between. Like here in LA, uh Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols has his own specialty show on KLS 2 hours every weekday and he can play whatever literally whatever he wants. Some of it's ridiculous. But the rest of it, it's like, yeah, there's like there's like the one half hour block of heavy metal at like 10 o'clock. And it, it's not let's be honest, it's not that heavy, you know, which is fine because I don't need Sacred Reich or, you know, no. a cannibal corpse. I, I don't need any of that. God, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm good. I'm good without that. But, you know, I also understand that there's a market for that. So sure. yeah, maybe put that on at midnight. But and I guess it's it's frustrating when you like rock music and you want you know, you want it to continue, you want it to do well. And I guess that's why the concert experience has become so specialized. And so every aspect of it is monetized, you know, it's like, well, do you, do you want to sit in the middle of the road? Do you want to sit on the aisle? It costs this much or that much. Uh, do you want to meet this member of the band? Do you want to meet three members of the band? Do you want to meet everybody? You know, all the different permutations for how they can, maximize the income from that event and look i'll still go i mean i i saw kiss at the forum on the farewell tour i'm sure they'll be they'll play los angeles again before it's all said and done uh next week what's that they're in nashville next week they're they're in my town next week are you going or are you yes i have not gotten tickets yet because i'm waiting for any vip packages that didn't sell to open up right so i the decent tickets at face well, value. You do know what a kiss meet and greet is like, right? Uh, no, I've never done one. Yeah. Uh, so let me let me do this. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. Your kiss meet and greet is now over. It's really just a photo. <laughs> it's just a photo op. And I think if they called it a photo op, uh, people would maybe not be so upset. I I have a friend who went. 
And, you know, his girlfriend was so excited to buy the meet and greet because they got to sit in the second row. They spent $2,500 a ticket for this show oh. at Madison Square Garden. And they got yep. to go. And he, I guess he hadn't heard what the meet and greet was like because he's done other meet and greets for smaller bands. He's done a meet and greet with Alice Cooper where you actually hang out with him for a while. And, you know, there's a lot of people and he'll actually take the time to talk to you instead of just yeah. taking a picture. But as much as I love Alice Cooper, he's not on the same level as, as Kiss. You know, I mean, he's not headlining venues of that size. You know, he's in amphithe amphitheater, you know, the theater uh, co-headline sort of a vibe, you know, whereas Kiss just has a painter opening. So it's uh, and we're going to do an entire episode of the Black Cast in the very near future about the uh, Kiss end of the road tour. I keep uh, I keep uh, kicking it down the road a little bit, but uh, I do want to talk more about it. So I hope you get to go. But here's the thing, too. What you're talking about is the smartest way to buy concert tickets is, yes, I'm waiting to see what the prices are when the show gets closer, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in, there's still a lot of bands that I get so excited when tickets go on sale and I'm like, well, I got to get them in the pre-sale because I got to get the good seats. I got to do all this and all that. And, you know, my kiss tickets were a Christmas present from my in-laws for my wife and I to go, which was great. But I was also like, well, you know, <laughs> especially if somebody else is paying, but if you're, <laughs> if, if you're willing to wait and even take the chance to like, you know what, maybe I won't get to that show. If you're willing to wait the even the day before, but that morning, a lot of times you're finding you're finding really good deals. You're able to kind of prey on other people's bad bad situations that come up. You know, all of a sudden somebody can't make it. Uh, you know, and then a lot of times ticket brokers just expect there to be more demand than there really is. And, you know, it's like the old days when the scalpers used to be out in front of, of a venue. It's like, well, if you don't care about the opening band, you, you can really wait until you actually buy that ticket from them, you know? So to just, to just look on your, yeah, to just look on your phone and see, like when I was in New York, my wife was there for work uh, back in October. And, you know, you want to talk about uh, these sort of eclectic, uh, you know, as much as I love Kiss, I also really like Bruce Springsteen. So I wanted to see his... Broadway show, but you look on StubHub, you know, a week out, it's like, yeah, two grand is the low end. Uh-huh. But then the day before, all of a sudden they're lower that afternoon. They're, they're even lower. You know, the, the prices are dropping and I'm like, there's a lot of seats available. So I actually went to the cancellation line and I was like the second in line for the cancellation line. I'm like, all right, this is, this is a pretty good situation, but you want to talk about preying on other people's, you know, needs. This woman comes by and she's like, I've got one. You have to go in with me right now because they were those stupid printed home tickets. And she had printed both tickets on one piece of paper. Oh dear. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, all right, uh, what are you, what are you asking? She's like, well, she's asking for 300, which is a lot of money for a concert, but it, the face value of like the orchestra section there was like 850 and people are spending, you know, thousands to go to this Bruce Springsteen show. And um, I'm like, uh, hold on, let me see what I have. So I, uh, you know, I asked her, I'm like, can I, can we do PayPal or Venmo? She didn't seem to be into that, which I get. Uh, but then I was like, all right. I have $267 in my wallet. She's like, that's perfect. Let's go. So, <laughs> that's so, amazing. Yeah. So by not having enough money in my wallet, I, I was able to actually, you know, get it for like 40 bucks left. And, you know, just some nice school teacher from Baltimore who drove up for, for the evening with friends and was sitting somewhere else, just needed somebody to sit next to. And I was like, great. So 
you know, those sort of things happen. But that even that $300 is pretty expensive. You can get to a lot of shows for 40 sometimes even 20 bucks if you don't care where you're going to sit. Because sometimes it is like, oh, five friends were going to go. Somebody fell out. And I don't know how many times this has been you, but it's often me. I'm the one who bought the tickets. And when somebody falls out, it's not like, oh, we'll all divide the cost of that friend who fell out. And, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, I have to find somebody to fill that spot. To, to, to go. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because on my end, I, I go sometimes to shows with friends, but I have no problem going by myself, which is also how I usually score really good tickets. Because if you're willing to do just one, yeah. you can get a seat in the first couple of rows. Like for Def Leppard and Kiss back in 2015 or 2014, I saw them three times in 10 days and I was third row for every show. But it's because I only need one ticket. Um, I found that now, uh, like I went to go see Metallica a few months ago and you had to buy tickets for that a year before. Like they put them on sale at the beginning of 2018. And I bought two because I figured I know somebody is going to want to go to Metallica. Yeah, That's easy. Uh, But I think too that I've gotten a little bit older and I feel like if I buy two tickets to something, sometimes I'll just invite someone along with me and I don't expect them to give me money. But I also have those people who say to me, you always get the best seats. Will you get us tickets to blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, cool. The second I get tickets, you are putting that money. You are Venmoing me that money. Right. Exactly. And I don't care if you can't make it. I will have that money by the end of the day. Yeah. Right. And I don't want the, uh, oh, I'll pay on the day of the show. I'm like, do you understand what APR financing is? Uh, do you understand anything about credit cards, how they work? Exactly. You know? Like I want to be able to put this money right back in my account. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, because it's so expensive, that's kind of what you have to do. And yeah, I have no problem going to a show by myself. Look, there's a lot of bands I go to see. My wife doesn't want to see. But then also, when you have two kids like we do, if you're going to go to a concert, that's easily, you know, it's easily $100, probably closer to two for the night out, you know, just because you also have to pay a babysitter on top of it. And, you know, one of the bands my wife does like that I also like is uh, we went to see Weezer. They played with the Pixies at the Forum. And I think we had to get like five hours worth of babysitting because between driving there, getting to the show, both bands, coming back, all that, you know. So I think a lot of times she's like, no, I don't I, I don't need to go see Guns N' Roses with you. It's okay. You have fun. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. Somebody, somebody scored a deal off me for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because I, I bought tickets when they went on sale because I wasn't sure if this is an event that sells out. Uh, because the Barclays Center isn't huge, and it's in the most—it's the biggest metropolitan area in the country. Right. Uh, so I went through the pre-sale, and I got two okay seats. And then it happened to be maybe three days before the show, I was checking their camera policy, and I started to see tickets pop open. And I was like, you know what? And so I went, grabbed two that were in the second section, so fairly close to the stage. At face value, which still comes out to about 600 bucks. Sure. But the other two on StubHub, and they sold, and I, I kept looking at what other people around me were selling their tickets for, and I just kept dropping the prices for just under, and I sold them. Now, whoever ended up with those tickets, yeah, they got a deal, because those were tickets that were almost 600 and they paid me about three. Right. But it's fine. Hey, hey, I go, look, I got the cost of one ticket back. It's cool. Yeah. And I think you just have to kind of be willing to do that. And, you know, even through like traditional Ticketmaster box office means, 
you know, usually like four o'clock that afternoon, they release what, uh, and again, this isn't, this isn't for you. This is for the listeners. Yeah, they have like what they call production holds. They're, they're being held just in case last minute, the performer's like, oh wait, my cousin's in town. He needs a seat too, you know? And then all of a sudden there's actually like really good seats as long as you're willing to pay for them that you're buying directly from the venue. So it's not like, you know, a third party, because as much as I love StubHub, I don't know how convenient a $70 convenience charge really is. It doesn't feel convenient, but no, they, it's um, always there. It is. There's no way around it. And so I totally agree. And that's why that I've had people come to me and can you help me buy tickets? That is because I will stock Ticketmaster yeah. like it's my job. Yeah, it's true. I, I think – I, I, you know, I, I, now that you're reminding me of this, I almost feel like it's like, Hey, look, it's, it's actually not in the, the city you live in, but can you, can you buy me these tickets? Because I feel, you know, I'm going to pay for them, but I'm going to ask you, like, I just feel like you're better at it. And it's funny because I have, I have one friend, my friend, John, I, I know how he is with tickets when they go on sale. There was a, uh, I can't remember what show it was. It was something that I had like a presale code for. And I knew it would sell out. And I'm like, I can't do it myself. There's a short list of people that I trust to actually buy me tickets and to also know like, oh, wait, these $900 tickets that opened up, I know he doesn't want that. You know, (laughs) there's the, yes, he wants the $200 tickets, even though those are too much. They're definitely too much. But, you know, the, you know, the first two rows is not something I'm ever looking for. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I like that I, I'm able to get out to some shows. It's nice. You know, the the level that I find myself in, just because of some of the people I get to interview, like, it doesn't save me a ton of money, but I, I can get to a, a free Tesla show, or let's see, in the last month I saw Enough's Enough at the Whiskey A Go Go because I interviewed Chips Enough last year. You know, I got I got to go to the, the Hair Nation uh, tour that they did, actually for the same reason, because I had interviewed Chip. Uh, you know, so every once in a while I get to go to stuff for free. So the fact that once in a while I'll spend a little bit more on, like, a Kiss concert, I feel like... I think it's all right, but I have a limit, you know? I mean, it's like, I have to eventually be more responsible than I want to be, you know? (laughs) But to be fair, if, if, yeah, but if, yeah, it depends on where you are, but to be fair, if tickets had opened up for when Kiss played the Whiskey A Go Go, that I could have actually bought, I, I probably would have way overspent on it. So I'm glad that they didn't because, uh, (laughs) You know. That one, that was heartbreaking to me. And you were the first person I thought of with Kiss playing the whiskey. I'm like, well, Christian, like, what are the chances he's going to be there? Because I entered, I did the whole thing. Yeah. I even, I might have hit up a guy I know with Sirius, but he's oh. he's really big in country. Yeah. Oh. Hit him up. I just had to start talking. He's like, do you know how many people have asked me for tickets? I'm like, oh, I bet they have. LOL. LOL. Uh, I'm not doing that, whatever. Yeah, I should yeah. be with you out, bro. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm embarrassed. There's, there's nothing that, uh, you know, makes you realize how little juice you have when you, you, uh, you shamelessly reach out to every publicist and manager and agent. My friend, uh, Katie, who has been a guest on this show, she knows the people who own the, the, see, I think it's the same people own the, the whiskey, the rainbow and the Roxy. She did a TV show from there, world's greatest tribute bands. And uh, we've talked a lot about that on this show. So she knows them really well. And, uh, she couldn't help me out. And, uh, my uh, past guest of the black cast, Kevin Blatt with two T's, no relation, believe it or not. Uh, he always turns up at everything. 
there, you know, he's even turned up at, at serious shows. Uh, but it's like, oh yeah, I could only get into the the slash and the conspirators because I I know guys in the band. So it's like, yeah, nobody could get me into that show. And the silver lining was that I did see them a few nights later at the forum, and. You know, I'm not going to pretend that I didn't want to go there, but when the set list came out, I'm like, okay, so they just played stuff that they're currently playing on the tour, but they played like seven less songs. So I still would have loved to have been there, but it's not like I missed some magical moment. I did see Alice Cooper play at the Whiskey in 2011 because those actually went on sale. And that was one of those ones where the day of, I'm like, I wonder if there's anything left. And I was only looking for one ticket. So I was able to get into that. That's how I saw the Hollywood Vampires first show that they ever did at the at the Roxy. That's I was amazing. just looking for one ticket. And yeah. a lot of times if you ask for two, it's you know, especially in seated venues. It's like no, we don't have anything together. Sorry, we can't help you. But uh so a, a lot of times being willing to go by yourself is uh is well worth it. Anyway, we've touched on it so briefly, but we've already been talking for uh, more than half an hour. And what I really want to talk to you about is the fact that just this past weekend, you did go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And as it has not aired on television yet, I don't know that much about the evening. I just know basically what you posted and our mutual friend, Shalair, who we were pages with at NBC. She's a huge Janet Jackson fan. And she flew up from Miami, got a really expensive hotel tell and then janet didn't perform (laughs) and she was she was livid in the moment and then people started to be like you know they did just do that documentary that uh, trashed her brother which seems rightly so and that's not the conversation i'm looking to have but then she like calmed down a little bit she like untagged janet from her post so that's how that's how (laughs) she (laughs) yeah that was like all right i guess i i'm gonna i'm gonna untag janet from there but uh so it's so th- there was that one side of it, but uh, tell me about your night at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, seeing your favorite band, Def Leppard, get inducted. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, Def Leppard is that band that has been, despite their insane success, has been so easy to make the butt of jokes or like just a punching bag. And there then becomes this feeling as a Leopard fan, like you, you suddenly are like, I need this. Like, I don't care about the Rock Hall at all. But then, wait, you're going to put my band in? Okay, I guess now I care. That you feel uh, like, you know, you're there with them. You you want the validation and you want this recognition for them. So it was it was a big deal night and it was like 80% Def Leppard fans there. I, I don't doubt it, you know? I mean, I, yes, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how many people traveled to see Roxy Music get, uh, get <laughs> inducted. And... Uh, you know, and for me, yeah, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has always been one of those things like, uh, I'm pretty sure they have their head up their ass. It seems like it's affiliated with Rolling Stone, who always had their head up their ass. I mean, that guy, Jan Wenner, has no taste in music that I'm interested in, to be perfectly honest. You know, and uh, in recent years, uh, Alice Cooper, well, the Alice Cooper band, the original band got in, Kiss got in. So bands that I cared about did get in. You know, uh, so it, it helps me not feel like the entire thing is a total sham, but it is because it's like, you know, bands kind of start to get in. I think Joan Jett even said like she was never on a ballot and then she performed when Nirvana got in. She was one of the people who sang with them. And then all of a sudden the next year she's not only on the ballot, she gets in, you know? Yeah. So it's like if you scratch their back, <laughs> they're uh, they're going to think long and hard uh, about you, you know? So you're playing nice in the sand box yeah 
Yeah, well, Trent Reznor actually came out to induct The Cure. And Trent Reznor has been very vocal, because you know the guy is, I mean, so smart, not afraid to express himself. And he's been very, very anti-The Rock Hall. Sure. And a lot of it had to do with, he wasn't necessarily putting down other bands, but it's the whole, how can you put ABC in if XYZ aren't in yet? And he is just such a fervent fan of The Cure that that was always a band he referenced. And here comes Trent Reznor who says, and he actually said it in his speech, that I've always been very critical of the Rock Hall. And a lot of it had to do because The Cure wasn't here. And I, I mean, I'll be the first to tell you, The Cure is certainly not one of my favorite bands. You know, I don't know a tremendous amount about them, but I do know their impact. I do know their longevity. I do know the artistry of this band. And it's like, wait, yeah, how have they not been in? Yeah, I mean, to me, I lumped them together with The Smiths, also a band I don't like. But I wouldn't yeah. for a second tell you that they weren't important, you know, and that, the, that their contribution shouldn't be recognized. And... I mean, look, at some point they decided that pop artists and, and rap artists need to belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And you just sort of throw your hands up in the air because you're like, all right, well, that's what they're doing now. So, but once you start to do that, well, how does LL Cool J be on the ballot every year and not get in when some of these other people who do get in? I'm like, I didn't I, I basically knew Run DMC and LL Cool J up until, I don't know, maybe like 1989. And then I knew Tone Loke as well, you know? So, <laughs> you know, I didn't I didn't know much, but I knew those two guys, those two, well, those two performers. And it's very inconsistent. And I almost think it's like it's like getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. You have to also be a very active member in the Hollywood community, which means you have to spend a lot of money on things, you know? Yes. So it's like, I don't know what you need to do to actually get inducted, but I mean, Duran Duran were there inducting Roxy Music, and then you're like, well, what the hell are they not doing in there? I mean, yes, they're not really... not in here. Yeah, they're not like our kind of rock, but... Uh, you know, they do have one of the best James Bond songs of all time. Thank you very much. So, uh, I, you know, you're just like, yeah, there's all these people that are talking, uh, but I would certainly put them in before Radiohead. Personally, I would never put Radiohead in, but that's just, again, my personal taste. <laughs> well, Radiohead had exactly two members show up, neither of which was Tom York. So, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So it's mostly Def Leppard fans, uh, which, yeah, we, uh, uh, I uh, obviously I live in Nashville. I mentioned that earlier. And so I flew into New York and I stayed in Brooklyn and I did not realize uh, I had picked the hotel based on its proximity to the Barclays Center. And it's it was like less than half a mile. So super easy walking, basically down like one street. And apparently all the Def Leppard fans felt the same way because they were all in my hotel. And these are people who have Facebook groups and Instagram chats and all this kind of stuff going on. And I'm like, Oh, y'all are a little too intense for me. Like, <laughs> hey, do you want to be a guest on our Def Leppard podcast? We're doing it right here, right now in the lobby. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, and I like, I have my Def Leppard shirt on, but I'm buttoning my jacket so they don't see it. I have my Def Leppard purse, I'm turning it so they don't see it. Uh, they have like shirts made up special. One woman had a custom made dress, and it was beautiful. Don't get it twisted, but uh, I, I felt like that was a lot, and. They had a meetup before the show. Everybody met at a certain bar in the arena. And uh, I kind of started to make my way over there. And then I thought, what am I doing here? <laughs> like, <laughs> and again, I, it's, I love this band, but to be 100% with you, I love the music. I love Def Leppard's music. I love the live show. 
some of these folks get a little bit too much into their personal lives. Yeah. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like they talk too much about the specific band members and I'm like, look, man, I'm not 14. <laughs> you know, like, like I'm going to marry Joe Elliott someday or something like that. Uh, you know, this is not my Donnie Wahlberg moment. <laughs> it was, yeah. It was, it's just when they start getting into things like that, when they, when they say things, cause I have honestly got some of the forums I follow because they'll post pictures. I'm like, Oh, that's a great picture sure. or a video from a show. But there have been ones that say like, oh, well, Joe and Sav hate each other. And you can tell in this video clip from the show that they did in Bangor, Maine, you can see the look that Sav shoots Joe at four minutes and 38 seconds. And I'm like, y'all have way too much free time. Yeah. Like that. Still making music that I'm cool, man. That's why I'm here. I always find that, uh, you know, it's nice to meet fervent, really passionate fans about music or you know for me comics or any of the things that i'm really into but the more of them that gather in one setting the less comfortable it is like when i went to see kiss in vegas for their residency at the hard rock you would run into people all throughout the you know at the restaurant you know that somebody liked the shirt that my wife had which oddly enough was a kiss shirt she had bought at target it goes back to how target is really where the world revolves around my daughter has a kiss shirt that we got from target so you see it's something about target but anyway uh but then you know when you're in a bigger setting like say at a at a convention or something like that you're like you know sometimes i just want to take a break like i get it i came here this weekend to see this band but uh, you know, I, I I need I need a couple minutes of uh, to decompress and and not have my head so totally in it. So yeah, I can totally relate that uh, that you just didn't want to be as into it as as some of these people were. And yeah, I mean, it's like somebody sitting next to you wants to talk about the music and stuff. That's probably fun. But then if you're absolutely yeah. If people are like accosting you, not even accosting you in a negative way, but just like if everybody's talking to you like, hey, cool purse, wait, come back, talk to me. You know, I'm doing it. Yeah. It also becomes a very weird uh, contest of like, well, who loves the band more? How many yeah. times have you seen them? Well, how far have you traveled? And I just, yeah, I try to stay out of those yeah. because I got, like, I don't need to prove my fandom to anybody. No. And I get irritated on that note when I get, and I've seen some people, I don't see it a ton in Def Leppard stuff, but in some other like rock bands, you know, the whole idea of a quote poser and people get mad because, well, you know, so let's say you came to see Metallica and all you know is the black album. And I'm like, okay, you can argue that. And yes, did they take a concert ticket? Sure. But they paid for it. Yeah. That's fine. And number two, that money, like you and I were talking about earlier, that goes back to the band to make more music. Right. And my end game for whether it's Tesla, whether it's Def Leppard, I want you to keep making more music. Maybe you'll never play it live, and that's okay. But that because I'm here for the music, I want you to keep making more. Yeah. And so that means, you know, an 11-year-old who heard Pour Some Sugar on Me on, like, I don't know, it just stumbled across it on a video game or something. I don't know. That's fine. That's great. Like, if their parents are willing to take them, cool. I'm all in for that. Yeah. I mean, I always think that that's sort of one of those things. And, you know, whenever you find yourself in one of those uh, conversations, you should be like, all right, how many times have you seen them? And if, if if that person says like 48, then you can just be like, you know what? 46, you know, just be like, you win. You've seen them more. 
you're definitely a bigger fan. You know, I am a fan too, though. You know, because it's like it, it, when you start to be like, oh, I do have more. And sometimes it's just like, why am I being competitive with this stranger about it, something? Uh, that happened to me so many years ago. I just moved to Nashville. And I, I try to, this is always the story I use for people when I'm trying to explain the weird fandom that can be associated with this band. And um, so back in 2002 and 2003, they did the X tour, which was the name of the album at the time. And I had gone to see that tour a number of times because I had nothing but disposable income. So I was able to see it a ton. So anyway, then I moved to Nashville. Suddenly I'm like, oh, here's real life. And just one night, and I lived uh, about a quarter of a mile from our amphitheater here at the time, which was like crazy. So if there's a show you didn't really care about, you're like, shoot, I'll just go buy a lawn ticket because it's a night of music and it's that close to my house. Anyway. Like, Leonard Skinner and Molly Hatchard are playing. And I had a few friends going. I'm like, hey, yeah, I'll get a lawn ticket. Let's do it. And I'm walking around, and all of a sudden I hear this music coming from, there was a stage, like, up toward the back opposite the amphitheater, like a B or C level stage. And I hear this song, and I'm like, uh, I know this guy, because it was the guy, Ricky Warwick, who had opened for Def Leppard on the X tour. And so I go and I'm listening and you can see it was a bunch of industry people because it's Nashville. And then there's like two random women who see me singing along. So they sidle on up and they're like, oh, so you know who this is? Yeah, I saw Ricky on the X tour with Leopard. Oh, well, we went four times. <laughs> How many did you go? Eighteen. Oh, and, and, and again, I'm not in this to yeah. I, I wasn't in it to be who's the bigger Leopard fan. And so they kind of start asking me all these questions and they're like, well, we, we went to blah, blah, blah show in this city because it was for Joe's birthday and we waited outside their hotel to give them presents. And I was like, oh God, you guys, oh, you're those people. Yeah. And then Ricky work finishes up his set and he had seen me singing along and he had kind of smiled and he, he came down and he was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased. You know, my music is, yeah, you know, I saw you open for leopard and I always really enjoyed your show. I was actually, you know, made it a point to see you every time. Well, I really appreciate that. And that's it. Quick conversation yeah. done. These two want to keep talking. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, uh, I have to go meet my friends like right now. Yeah. Like we are, we are done. <laughs> Because it's just those kind of super fans that I'm like, no, uh-uh. Yeah, I mean, especially when you, as in not you, but they are the fan of the, you know, the lower level opener that uh, most people don't know. Like, wait, no, no, nobody's supposed to know about this. Uh, only I do. They driven from, I want to say it was either Cleveland or Cincinnati. Because he, this Ricky Warwick guy had opened the night before in whatever amphitheater they were in because they were such huge leopard fans. They're like, well, we'll drive to see him. I go, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. That Ricky Warwick, who happens to be very good friends with Joel, it was going to be like, I met these two women, man, <laughs> you need to meet that. Come on. Like what, again, what is your outcome here? You yeah. drove eight hours to see Ricky Warwick. <laughs> Only because of his association with mm. Def Leppard. Like, if you're a huge Ricky Warwick fan, good on you, man. Don't, don't like, I've driven six hours to see Bang Tango. I feel you. <laughs> yeah, but I, I wouldn't drive eight hours to see Dion Warwick, you know? I mean, <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, so obviously, you know, when you have that level of fan in, in a setting, there's the aspect of it that could be, like, conversationally annoying, but that had to be great for the venue inside the actual Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, proceedings. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it was uh, it was very cool. Leopard were the last ones inducted, and I don't think they came on until after 11. But leading up to it, you had Stevie Nicks, who opened the show. Um, Don Henley came out. Spoiler alert. 
So he came out with her. Uh, she had Harry Styles play with her. Harry Styles inducted her. Then you had Radiohead, who didn't play, because it was just, again, two people. Um, Roxy Music came out. I'm going to be 100% with you. I don't know any Roxy Music. I think I, 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 I Googled something. them. Yeah, when they were on the ballad, I think I looked up. I'm like, okay, I've heard one of those songs. But, uh, yeah. yeah. It, uh, and that was, I guess if that was your thing, that was cool. And, hey, good on them. Uh, then The Cure, who I thought were a lot of fun. Robert Smith was very endearing. And I really uh, I enjoyed his whole attitude toward this. And I, have you seen the clip from him on the red carpet? I have not. No. Okay, I'm gonna have to send it to you. It's he's talking to the woman that is doing all the red carpet coverage for. I believe it was for the serious pre-show and the Rock Hall pre-show. And she's like, "We've got the cure. We've got Robert Smith. Are you guys so excited? I'm so excited. Are you as excited that you guys are being inducted?" And Robert Smith just looks at her and goes, "By the sounds of it, no." <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, it was so droll, but I don't think he meant it to be rude. It was just, this guy just seems so genuine yeah. and he's just in his own little Robert Smith world. Um, <laughs> he was very nice congratulating all the other uh, inductees that night. And so I really enjoyed him. I enjoyed their performance, even though, and I'm not a huge Cure fan. Um, and then uh, Janet came out and as we touched on, Janet did not perform. And I, even despite the whole tie-in with HBO and the Leaving Neverland documentary, I'll be honest, I wasn't sure she was going to anyway, because what she had announced that tour a couple of years ago, and then that all got canceled. Yeah. And now she has a presidency that's supposed to start in Las Vegas in a month or so. And I feel like if you're the promoter in Vegas, I don't want Janet giving away her first performance in how many years to the Rock Hall. Yeah, but if she did, uh, and you and I were texting about this, I think the only song she should have been allowed to play in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame would be Black Cat. That'd be the only one that I was okay with. <laughs> and you know what's interesting, and you'll see it, uh, I'm assuming that when you watch the HBO induction, however they edit it down, I'm assuming they show all the packages that they show about the artist. Yeah, I would assume, yeah. I think that's all in. Black Cat is heavily spotlighted. Which that's is great. fine by me, because I'm like, that's fantastic. Yes, all the black cat. And so I would have loved to have seen her come out and do that. But again, she came out, she did her little speech, and that was nice. Uh, and then the zombies were inducted by Susanna Hoffs of the Bengals. And I had heard of the zombies. And then when they started playing their little intro package, I was like, oh, okay. I, I've, I've heard a couple of Yeah, I mean, they have songs. that song, Time of the Season, like that, yeah. I, without even Googling it, I know that one. And I think there's yes. one other one too, but you know. They do the song, She's Not There. Oh yeah, see, there you go. That's yeah. the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will tell you what, the Rock Hall, if you don't know anything, if, look, you just like rock and roll, that's fine. Do yourself a favor and watch The Zombies. I walked away that night a fan. I was blown away because these guys, these guys are old. I don't mean that to sound harsh, but like, I mean, these guys, you're talking early sixties, late fifties when they got together right? and they, they were tight. I guess a couple of them still perform and it was, I mean, sonically, they had so many layers going on and I'm not usually one of those big music dorks of like, Oh, I could hear this happening and blah, blah, blah. But I was, <laughs> right. I was so impressed with the fullness of the sound. That the zombies really, for me, were a highlight I did not expect coming. Well, that's cool. That's good to know because it's not something that I was even thinking about. So uh, you'll have to keep an eye out for that. <laughs> it's not like, oh, we're going to be sitting through the zombies. It's fine. Um, and then they did the in memoriam. And it was like, oh, cool. There goes all the air out of the room before you bring Devlin. <laughs> <Right>. Fantastic. <laughs> 
but it's uh, it's what the crowd was waiting for. Somehow I was stuck in like three rows of Cure fans. Oh wow, which okay. is a little. But uh, yeah, I think that's where the Cure fans were sitting, and somehow I got in there. But when Brian May came out to induct Def Leppard, they started the video and the whole thing. Like the place is just going nuts. And Brian May talked a lot about his his relationship with the band. And he said, I'm not going to give you the history of the band. You all know it. I'm going to tell you my history with the band, which I really enjoyed. And I hope something I hope they keep in. I don't know how much they edit down these speeches. Because Brian May did talk for a fairly long time. I think he talked longer than the band did. Um, one of the things he talked about was his friendship with Joe Elliott. And he's friends with all of them, but he and Joe are especially close. And he said, you know, to explain to you how close we are, uh, the first person who called Joe when Steve Clark passed away was me. And the first person who reached out to me when Freddie died was Joe. I thought that was pretty telling. Yeah. That was a pretty big, big thing to drop there. Yeah, I don't I don't think I had any inclination until you just told me that. I don't think I had any inclination that they were that close. I just figured, you know, like, yeah, they're guys, you know, British guys who are in rock bands and they, you know, yeah. cross paths a lot. That's, well, like, that's really interesting. Loves Queen and Joe loves Queen. And I, I always joke about like uh, Joe and Ian Hunter. He'll give any chance to talk about Ian Hunter, He'll do any chance to talk about Queen, talk about Brian May. Like, Joe, there are days where I go. I get it, man. You wanted to be a famous rock star so you could meet your heroes. That's kind of what I wanted to do with my life. I get you. Um, and I knew that they were all friends, but I don't think I understood the depth of the friendship is when you say something like that. That's pretty massive. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then when they came up and did the speeches, uh, just Joe spoke for them. Oh, that's so it interesting. it was all five up there, but just Joe talking. Hmm. I mean, I, I guess, you know, they probably are like, well, here's – kind of what we want to cover and uh, have Joe do it. But yeah, you know, look, sometimes those speeches when I've seen it, when it's like, I, I don't need every member of the E Street band to talk, you know, the, sometimes it's good to just have a, a designated speech. That's interesting though, that it was, it was just Joe. Uh, and, and then Roxy music's talk. And it was like, are you kidding? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like you, you guys might be inducted by mistake. All right. So you should get <laughs> off the stage before it's too late. Uh, so, uh, and, and how do the performances work? Do they speak and then perform or are all the performances at the end or how does it work? Uh, Stevie came out and performed mm -hmm. and then Harry Styles did the induction and she spoke. Um, I want to say the cure was inducted and then they played the zombies were inducted. Then they played and leopard Brian may came out, Joe spoke and then uh, leopard played four songs and they came back for the quote all-star jam. Right. Which wasn't really because <laughs> it was deaf leopards, some members of the zombies, Susanna Hoffs, uh, Little Steven Van Zant was there because he had done some. I guess the Rock Hall is now inducting singles into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, yes, he came out to announce the singles. Well, look, there are there are definitely some great songs from the run of rock and roll, but bands that shouldn't ever be mentioned in a sentence with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, your true one hit wonders, but sometimes those hits are so massive. You know, uh, and, and then, you know, sometimes you get guys like Chubby Checker who figure out how to make the same song like four different times, you know, <laughs> like sometimes you have to bring in the fat boys. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, I, I don't I don't know what song would be made worse by bringing in the fat boys, but uh, uh, all right. Eric Clapton, Tears in Heaven. All right. So I just figured out what song would be worse. For <laughs> bringing it, but that, I mean, there's always has to be an exception yeah. to prove the rules. Right. Exactly. Uh, but yes, yeah, so little Steve Manzette was there. So he came out and jammed and Joe. Uh, brought out Ian Hunter. 
Oh, because oh of cool. Course he did. Yeah. Because of course he's Joe, and that's what he does. Yeah. And so they uh, they came out and did all the young dudes. That's cool. Uh, and it's then favorite song of all time, so it only makes sense. Yeah, and so Leopard do perform as Def Leopard, though. I mean, they they it's not right. just the jam, right? And did they do two songs, three songs? What did they do? They did four. They they did Hysteria, Photograph, Sugar, and Rock of Ages. I think that if you're going to pick four, those seem like, you know, the ones that uh, are that well define the group. I think when you get to do four, maybe you could you could sneak in a deep cut. But uh, it's it's hard to it's it's okay. I get it. It's hard to argue with those four, you know, and it's like if they were only going to get one, they'd have to do pour some sugar on me because it's like, well, you know, why wouldn't they? Um, you know, when you and I were trading messages leading up to this, uh, I was, I was asking you about your just favorite Def Leppard song and you said, pour some sugar on me is actually in your top five. That's correct. Right? Yes. So I only find that hard to believe because of the fact that it's not that it's not a great song, but it's like been a great song for 30 plus years. And because it's in heavy rotation on radio stations, and I don't know if it's ever been in the format on stations you've worked on where you've had to play it maybe a few times a week. It is one of those songs that I could see wearing people down a little bit on I like that song. I just don't need to hear it anymore. You know, I have, I, there, there are definitely, you know, uh, Stairway to Heaven. Yeah. Great song. I don't ever want to hear it again. Like ever, you know, it's it's for me when it comes to that song specifically, it, that was, I saw that video on MTV. That was my gateway into uh, all things, quote, hard rock, hair metal, whatever you want to call it. But until then I'd been listening to whatever my parents listened to. That could have been The Stones or Barry Manilow or Fleetwood Mac. And then whatever was pop on the radio, like anything from Duran Duran to The Bangles. And suddenly here's this band on MTV. And this was not my parents' music. This was my music. And Sugar was the song and Sugar was the video. And uh, I've worked on a couple of stations where I would play Sugar somewhat regularly. And I'd always say it's the best four minutes and 23 seconds in rock and roll. And it's still to this day that it, it still hypes me like almost nothing else will. And I just, I cannot get sick of that song. I get mad when people cover it. I throw things at bands if they do. It's very weird. Um, yeah. Did Taylor true. Swift cover it or did she cover a different uh, Def Leppard? She, she did Crossroads with Def Leppard. Oh, so okay. they were on stage together. Mm, uh, I suppose. I they filmed <laughs> it in Nashville and you know, I, I happened to be dating a guy that worked at Crossroads. So he's like, Hey, do you want to come to rehearsals? Which was, I brought my younger brother with me. So it was me and my brother and then Taylor Swift's mom and all her friends. And then like Phil Collin from Def Leppard, his wife, <laughs> that's, that's who was sitting in rehearsals. And you know, people are like, who is this girl? Yeah. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Cause I am here, man. Um, I'm actually on one of the DVDs because I'm in the press conference for uh, when oh, Def Leppard great. and Taylor Swift are there. And Joe, I have my Def Leppard purse. And he's like, I like your handbag. And I'm like, eh, I have nothing to say. I'm like, I'm not, but, but, no, can't speak Yeah, that was one of those really cool things about being a page at NBC or being an intern first like I was. You know, when the band on Conan or SNL would be rehearsing, Conan, it was a little trickier. But because I was the music intern, I would be in there a lot. 
But uh, at SNL, at least in, you know, 98, 99, 2000, they would let people, you know, as long as you knew somebody, you could kind of, you know, I knew like the, I, I knew somebody at Conan who was a talent coordinator who had also worked on SNL. So it was like, I was standing with somebody who knew somebody. So, you know, I would get to see some cool things like that. But yeah, whenever you're a part of a small audience like that, and it's usually because, yeah, it's like TV blocking or, you know, something like that. You're still like, I can't believe I was just one of like, I don't know, a dozen people who just saw a full performance from, you know, this, this great performer, you know? And it was getting to watch rehearsals and getting them to work out the songs. And it's it's like watching Taylor Swift mess up the lyrics and Joe (laughs) say to her, the lyrics are on the screen. (laughs) I don't think he was being mean about it, but I was like, like, don't try, don't try and keep them all in that pretty little head of yours. Just go ahead and read. It's okay. I think, I think Def Leppard is her mom's favorite band. Oh, that's funny. And I remember meeting this guy and he had listened to me and he starts, we're we're at a bar one night with a bunch of friends and he starts trash talking leopard. And I sat there quietly and I sat there and he's like, I'm waiting for you to say something. And I just hit him back with, I, I don't know, something really awful. And he starts laughing. He says, I know who you are. I listen to you. I know what a fan of Def Leppard you are. And he said, by the way, I work for CMT. I work for Crossroads. There are rumors they're going to be doing a Leopard Crossroads in the next year. If they do, I'll get you in. <laughs> okay. And then we started dating. And I think we had we weren't even dating at the time. And wow. he texted me the night before. He's like, why haven't I heard from you? Are you, don't you want to come? And I go, Oh, I don't know if that'd be weird. He's like, no, I told you I was getting you in. Come on. Oh, All right. Great. Like, thanks, man. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah. But yeah, so a song like Pour Some Sugar on Me, I don't know. When I see a band, I kind of want it. I want to see those songs. Uh, you know, if it's not your favorite band, I get it. But I never understand the uh, I'm going to leave to beat the traffic. Now, I know that when you saw Kiss three times in the course of those 10 days, I know that some of those were a few hours away from where you live. So I think you did duck out during rock and roll all night, unless I'm mistaken, right? I actually ducked out during Love Gun. Oh, so even before that, yeah. I just, Love Gun is my favorite. Yeah. So, like, I have to see Love Gun. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that does make me a bad Kiss fan, absolutely. But yeah. it was because it, if the venue wasn't two hours away, it was three hours. Yeah. And no, none no, of I, them were close. So. Yeah, that's... That's the thing about when you're somewhere like Syracuse. It's like there's a lot of different stops where bands can play within a radius, but it's all going to take a while, and that's if the the weather is decent at that time of year. But that being said, like I would never want to, because of how much I like Kiss, I I don't want them to end with something other than Rock and Roll All Night. Like a live three, they played Rock and Roll All Night in the middle of that set, and I don't know if they did that on the Revenge Tour when I saw them, but they still played it, you know, and then they ended with God Gave Rock and Roll to you. I'm like, all right, that's cool. That's a little different they don't do that now it's just like now nah, we're just gonna give you like just under 90 minutes and uh you're gonna get rock and roll all night at the end and that's my wife's favorite part because she just loves all the confetti up in the air and you know all that it's stuff so much fun yeah i agree i it's, mean i hated to miss it but yeah no no I, I, was- I get those situations i just for me i'm just like well I'm, I'm gonna stay to the end and it's like it's like one of it's kind of like the only rock and roll song my son knows at this point so it's it's you know not that I can take him at three to a Kiss concert. I need this end of the road tour to go on for the three years that they've promised for me to feel like I can actually bring him. But uh, so, yeah, I want to see that. And yeah, when I see when I see Journey, all the songs that they did are the ones I wanted to see. That's perfect. You know, I, I don't I, I'm definitely that fan. It's like, no, I, I'm, I'm OK with like the greatest hits, you know, like when I was in college, I saw. 
I don't know. Look, look, we all have moments of, of things that we're into, maybe because some girl we know likes it too. But I, uh, I, you know, I went to a few Grateful Dead shows, and one of them, the Steve Miller Band opened. And what the Steve Miller Band did is there's that Steve Miller Band greatest hit, 74 to 78. They played all the songs on that. They dropped one new song in the middle, and that was it. I'm like, great. You know what? Fantastic. You want to sell a new album? Go ahead, play a song. I get it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. You know, give you a hard time for that. But yes, just play the songs I want to see. Perfect. Now, if it's a if it's a headline show for Steve Miller, he's doing two hours. You play whatever you want. But if you're opening at Giant Stadium, yeah, uh, yeah just go ahead. Keep those forty five minutes down to to stuff we know. Um, and definitely talks about that. They say, "Look, man. Yes, we can throw out the occasional." rarity and 10% of the audience is losing their mind, which means 90% is bored. Yeah. Bored or or like, and they said, you know, we've tried that here and there. And that's why they kind of limit that stuff to like their Vegas residencies. And I don't have a problem with that. Like, cause I'll, I'll, I'm a super fan. I will absolutely go to your Vegas residency. Yeah. I mean, and the, the the set list that kiss had at the residency is, is a lot different. You know, there, there are obviously staples that they'll do, but it was different that, that, that was like the end of the same year. I think that uh, with the Def Leppard tour, it was November after that tour in the summer and, or maybe it was the next year. No. Yeah, it was the next year. That's what it was. And uh, yeah, they had different things in there that they wouldn't have played, you know, if they were playing amphitheaters across the country, which is great. I'm very interested in seeing the set list for what Aerosmith's residency is going to be, because based on that, I'll decide if I want to actually see it because I saw them a few years ago and they have, you know, they have this they could do a whole show of like great 70s songs that they have and then you could go home and then they have like all the songs from the 80s and 90s that a whole different generation are going to go see i don't know how they do the mix of all that but uh i'm always interested in seeing and yeah i i'm i'm gonna lose my mind if they do like kings and queens and critical mass but then everybody's going to uh everybody's going to the the beer line um and one of the things yeah, we were talking Kings and Queens, come on, man. Like, I'm right there with you for that. Yeah. I, I, the song I most want to see them do live is chip away the stone, which isn't even really on an album. You know, it's, yeah. it's on live bootleg, but anyway, uh, in terms of Def Leppard, one of these things that I was talking to you, uh, there's a song that they always play. And I hate yes, this. I wanted to get to this. I need to know what this is. I hate this song so much. The first time I heard it, I was like, well, that's stupid. I just don't like it. And I, I heard Joe explaining the song. I've heard the band talk about the song. This is back when it came out. Uh, Let's Get Rocked. I hate that song so much. And he's just like, yeah, it's like a song about Bart Simpson. I'm like, well, that's why yes. it's stupid. Yes. I it's Musically, it's great. Yes. No, no. It, it's it's the lyrics. It's the lyrics that, that get to me. Yeah. And it's uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I totally am on board with you. Yeah, and look, Alice Cooper has this song called Lost in America that he decides to play sometimes. It is also a really stupid song like that. Od- oddly, his song Hey Stupid is a song I really like. That's not yeah. stupid in a bad way, but <laughs> it, it's actually a really similar song like lyrically. And and I don't know, they're from similar time periods. It's sort of like early 90s when bands like that were starting to try and figure out. I mean, that's a huge song for Def Leppard, you know? I, I, and I get that they play it, but I'm like, Oh, why do I hate that song so much? But anyway, I love it though. I totally understand because you should, this is why we tell people that I guess I'm the best and the worst fan. Cause I go through this with Garth Brooks. I go through this with Leopard that there are parts of their set lists as a super fan, as somebody who loves these artists, there are parts of the set list. I'm like, Oh, again, <laughs> or, Ugh, I don't need to hear this song. 
<laughs> and but I will suffer through it. Yeah. Because of the other moments. Like I understand so Def Leppard is not gonna play anything off the first album. They're not gonna play anything off slang. Uh, you know, Garth is not giving me my favorite song ever again. That's fine. And I, I am aware of that and I've accepted it. It's just there are some songs with both fans. Again, when you're such a fan and you've seen them so many times, you're like, okay, I get it. Like with Garth, I go, oh, unanswered prayers. <laughs> but, but, I'm, but I'm also weird. Like, you know, I've seen him 30 some odd times and there are people who this is the first time they've seen him. And it's this moment and it's magical and everybody's got their, I mean, I guess they have their phones up, not lighters anymore, but everybody's yeah. singing along and he lets the audience sing it. And wow, that's great. Except I've seen it 30 some odd times. Yeah. So. No, and I I always appreciate bands who take that into consideration. It's it's something I've I've heard Paul Stanley say is like every show is somebody's first, and there yep. are songs that you know if you don't hear Detroit Rock City, Love Gun, and Rock and Roll All Night, and I'm probably thinking there's probably a couple others that like need to always be in there every show. Uh, they're gonna be like, oh yeah, it was good, but. And you just don't want anybody to leave with that feeling. So I get it. And, you know, look, most set lists aren't made for people who see five shows on a tour. You know, I I True. do like I do like bands that mix it up a little bit on a tour where it's not like these are our 17 songs and we're going to play it the whole tour. You know, I like where night to night you might actually get something a little different, you know, but I also understand that, uh, you know, from a from a production standpoint, it's just easier if it's the same every night, you know. Oh, so, you know, because yeah. you've got timing and you've got pyro and you know, you have video screens and the whole yeah. thing. Like, yeah, you can't just, uh, riff. Right. You're like, Hey, you don't want to change. It's like, uh, sound guy's not ready for this. Yeah. He's not right. ready for this. The car guy's not ready <laughs> with it. You know? So yeah. I get it. Like, uh, that's, that's what I also think makes us really good. Super fans. Right. It's like, we understand yeah, it. We don't complain yeah. about it. Yeah. Look, people just complain about, you know, set lists and look with, with Kiss, the big thing is like, well, you got two guys in makeup pretending to be other guys. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, those those guys are older and those guys probably should have had somebody handling their affairs that didn't let them sell those designs back to Gene and Paul. But, you know, yeah. there's there's a lot of things that you can point to. And it's like like everybody says, it's like, look, if it bothers you that much, don't go. Don't go and see if you don't like the set list. If you don't want to yeah. see Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer, who are both better at this point in their lives than Ace Frehley and especially Peter Chris, who's just, he's yeah, like in his 70s. You know, it's like, if you don't want to see that, then don't go. It's fine. You know, if you don't like Def Leppard's set list, then don't. Cool. Yeah, because somebody else will take the pick. Like yeah. somebody else will take the ticket. Exactly. I promise you. Well, so. um, we could we could talk more in in this vein for a, another hour. But uh, before I let you go, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, something else that's current in the hard rock world, which is the movie The Dirt, the Motley Crue biopic, which found its way onto Netflix of all things. Uh, just uh, on the whole, what did you think of the movie? I'll be honest, I enjoyed it. I was watching it on the plane to New York for the Rock Hall, which is a little bit awkward to have people that close to you when you're like, oh, sorry for watching porn. Yeah, exactly. I, it's like you got to tilt the screen in a certain way. It's like... Yeah, like hunched over it. But um, I, look, they were they going to take liberties with the timeline? Did they have to get in their dig about Kiss? Of course they did. Yeah. But... I I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun movie. I thought it was, I know there are people who are all upset that like women are treated as just window dressing. I'm like, well, yeah, that was, that was the sunset strip in the early eighties folks. Um, the woman under the table at the rainbow, that was the transaction. 
Yeah. Like nobody was forcing her to be under there. That was, she wants to be close to rock stars. This is how she did it. And I think we've gotten so far removed from what the groupie culture was. And there's no shame in it like that. Like, look, they did what they wanted to do. And so I know that was a whole big, uh, a friend of mine is a rock journalist and she's been writing a lot about it. But I, I just enjoyed the movie. It's, is it going to win Oscars? No, it's not Bohemian Rhapsody, but it still uh, was better than I thought it was going to be. I thought Machine Gun Kelly was a great Tommy Lee. Yeah. Oh my gosh. She was incredible. So yeah, I was, I, I was pleasantly surprised. I actually want to watch it again this week. Yeah. I think that there was a lot of it that was fun and I didn't, none of my problems were the story. If you're going to tell a story, especially that band, but any band from that sunset strip scene, it is going to sort of, it's going to feature that element. Look, it's a, it's a just, a, it's a different time and place, you know? It, and, you know, it's a little uncomfortable when there's the, the one scene where the girl gets punched in the face on the bus, but you know, when you're calling his mom a C word, he's not going to be happy with you. No woman should ever be punched, but you know, he, but also, I look to their credit. They kept something like that in. Yeah, right. Exactly. That That's the point I want to make that it, it, it was, it was such an honest portrayal that at times it was a lot of fun, but times it was, I mean, it's really serious. You know, um, my biggest gripe was that the acting left a little bit to be desired. Uh, Machine Gun Kelly was great. Uh, the, the, the guy who was Vince, I think had a lot to have to navigate. Like there's some serious stuff that he has to deal with, but yeah. I'll tell you the, the little girl who played Vince's daughter was great. I, I I'm not even, I thought she was really good and look, it's hard to get a kid to cry on credit or you can, or, you know, I mean on cue or to get a kid to convince you that they're really sick in the hospital. And I was just like, I don't know who that little kid is, but I hope that, uh, you know, that's like the first thing on her IMDb and she gets more opportunities yeah. from it because I bought it from her. Uh, yeah. Ramsey Bolton was a little bit off putting to me just watching. I'm like, Oh, cause it, it was like, who is this guy? Oh, he's the game of Thrones guy. Oh yeah. Right. I know that. Yeah. That's uh yeah. So okay. some of them. Yeah. And, but I thought that uh, the you know the 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 car crash with the guy from Hanoi Rocks, and as uncomfortable as some of the the God, who's shooting up in those scenes? Is it Tommy or is it Nikki? I can't even remember. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, that's I think Nikki for the most part. It's Mick, Nikki for the most part, right? Yeah, and yeah. and you know, like one in particular was was uh, a, a little much, but it's also like. You know, it's a really important part of the story, you know, and uh, I, I think it's good that they left it all in. Uh, there were just times where I, I think that uh, the the uh, the acting took me out of it. But in general, I did have fun with it and I do love the music. Uh, Motley Crue was never one of my favorite bands, but they have so many great songs. I love that in the movie, Vince points out, you know, the Theater of Pain album. He's like, yeah, two good songs. The rest is garbage. Yes, actually Oh it my is. gosh, that was, uh, they put that in and I was like, bless you. Yeah. That was amazing because I've always said that. And yeah. Motley used to be one of my favorite bands. Yeah, and Girls, Girls, Girls <laughs> isn't, a, yeah, Girls, Girls, Girls isn't a great album either as to, in terms of an album. No. You know, Mm-mm. the good thing like, about- I love Too Fast for Love. That's still one of my favorite yeah. albums of all time. Feel Good is amazing. Yeah. I just, uh, Motley, because they're so bad live, have been so disappointing to me for yeah. so many years. And this movie helped me kind of reignite my love for, I guess the studio records. We'll just put it that way. Yeah. And I saw them on 
their farewell tour, at least farewell tour so far. Uh, look, a, a big factor was that Alice Cooper was opening and it was at the Hollywood Bowl, yeah. but I'd never seen them. And I knew that they weren't good, but I, uh, you know, if you go into it with, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can compare Vince Neil with David Lee Roth. It's more about the, there's this presence on stage, this guy who's a rock star. You know, David Lee Roth basically talks through the songs now, which he sort of always did, but now even more so. And, you know, Vince, it's a lot of putting the microphone out in the audience, you know. Yes. And He's been doing, honestly, that's been 20 years. And yeah. that's where my irritation yeah. comes from. But I do have to ask you, so that was the first time you saw them. So you did not see the Motley Kiss tour. No, I actually didn't get to that tour. Yeah, that was, I I don't even, I don't even know what was going on in my life, but uh, I did not make it out to that. It was, I went and actually I had a meet and greet with Nikki Six before, right when Tommy had come out and said all the stuff about it. He he hated taking pictures with fans and then he had to like backtrack. So he showed up at the meet and greet and like, don't kid yourself. I beelined for Tommy. Sure. Absolutely. I'm going to do that. But I go to what, so we're sitting, we're watching the show and like Motley was, Motley was just Motley, which is a little bit sloppy. Again, Vince, the mic's out in the crowd, the whole thing. They don't feel like a cohesive unit anymore. And the issue was that then you have Kiss on stage and Kiss is such a unit and Kiss is a machine. And it was, even the audience seemed to stand up straighter. Yeah. That it was just it, between the two of them, like, I don't know who paired them together. What a terrible idea because Kiss made them look so bad. And like you said, if you just go in with the like, hey, I love Motley and I'm here to drink a bunch of beer. Yeah. Then you're. <laughs> but it was it was just so stark. Right. How amazing Kiss is and how Motley was not at that level. Yeah, and I, I think that's uh, that's kind of the big difference that when you see Kiss, regardless of who's in the band at any point, it it is a certain level of production, and you know it's it, it, I don't know they, they, because that brand is so important to them, they're not going to put what they consider a, a substandard uh, product out there, you know, and you know these uh, one of these things that has been said a lot about Motley Crue, people are also saying about Kiss right now, is having various tracks sort of support background vocals, lead vocals. Look, I saw Kiss and I know people talk about it and I'm not saying that there's 0% chance that it was going on. It, it might have very well been going on. I didn't notice. It's not like I saw Paul singing and he wasn't anywhere near the microphone. And you know, people are like, oh, look at YouTube. You're going to see all these clips. And I'm like, yeah, but were they filming the screen? Is that why the mouth doesn't match up to it? You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of different things that. Uh, so I don't know. It doesn't bother me that much. And if it's going to make the show better, if it's going to make the band feel better, you know, maybe Vince Neil should have some support from some backing tracks. I don't know. Just, just thinking outside the box. Maybe it's a good thing oh, for I some agree. people. Like, you paid for a show. Yeah. Like, I mean, cause Motley Crue is not, you know, this is not Paul Simon up here with a guitar right <laughs> on his own. It's, you know, you're paying for the show. Right. And I don't think there's anything wrong with giving an audience a show. Like I think Def Leppard a couple of years ago, I'm not saying this is true. I'm just telling you what I have observed and what I heard. Joe was having some serious voice problems. And I went to see them, and I am fairly convinced Joe was not singing. Right. And uh, you know what? On the flip side, it's like, okay, but did anybody else there care? No, because there are people who said, it's Def Leppard. Cool. I know, like, ten of their songs. I'm going to go drink beer. And that's what it's – they're here to sell beer. It's fine. Right, exactly. And I think that as long as, you know, you've heard it, you're making your informed decision. And there's other people that are just like – you could tell them at the show – 
I'm 100% sure that he's lip syncing right now. Like, whatever, sounds good. The band's great. You know, they're playing everything. Every, you know, it, it can make for a more fun night. I also understand somebody that's like, you know what? I don't want to see that. Okay, well, then, then, like we said, you don't have to go. It's like, yep. I don't want to see Paul Stanley lip syncing while uh, two guys are pretending to be Ace and Peter. Uh, great. Because then that's another ticket that, you know, Carson or I can buy on StubHub last minute, yep. like we're talking about. <laughs> Thank you, because we would like that at a yeah, cheaper rate. And exactly. we appreciate you not coming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think it'll be interesting. And I'll uh, be interested to hear your thoughts when you see, uh, if you do get out to see Kiss when they're there in Nashville. Uh, I can I, imagine I'm not going to Kiss. Yeah. It, it, I mean, like, come it's, on. The, the, uh, the set list is not uh, reinventing the wheel. Um, they, they switched out something that they did when I saw them, they did the song, hide your heart, which is like my era of kiss when I really got into them. So I was glad I saw it, but I understood them switching it out. There's, there's still a couple, there's still one question mark in there. They do a song from Sonic boom and you're like, okay, I guess, but you know, <laughs> do we really need it? But yeah, this, I mean- the stage show, everything, just all about the whole night. It's so great. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I hope you uh, get out there and enjoy it. Uh, and then the final thing I want to talk to you before I let you go, because you've been very generous with your time, and I've been very greedy just hogging so much of your valuable time. Oh, the, the last time I talked to you on the Black Cast was quite a while ago, and there were these rumors about Axl Rose rehearsing with ACDC, and I was like, man, I don't buy it. It's never going to happen. Well, it did happen, and you actually went to one of those shows, right? Yeah, I uh, I, I made the drive to Atlanta to see Axel DC, and it was it was phenomenal. Yeah, now, I mean that's I what I've heard is because a huge Axel fan, right? So. That's true. Yeah, you're a huge Axel fan, but I mean he's such a huge fan of ACDC. Like it doesn't surprise me that the show was great, right? And I assume at some point you'd seen them with Brian Johnson at some other occasion. Yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. seen them a couple of times. Right. And it was, I mean, is it a different show? Yeah, but what I will say was super cool about Axel. It's that whole going back to Joe Elliott bringing, having Brian May and Ian Hunter playing with them at the Rock Hall. It's seeing somebody who has such reverence for these other musicians on stage that I was actually right next to the end of the thrust. You know, the part that sticks out uh, for people who don't know, the, the part of the stage at least sticks out in the audience. Axel only came out twice. Oh, wow. Otherwise, he stood, he was on stage with the band, and it was like Angus coming out to the thrust, because I think Axel really wanted to be like, hey, I'm the vocalist here. Yeah. I'm not the star. And that was the impression I got. Am I, am I absolutely putting that on Axel? Sure. But I do feel it was a conscious effort on his part, because I've seen GNR so many times that it, it definitely was not the same... Um, audience interaction that Axel has with yeah, R. But I think being cognizant that it's not your band and yes, obviously people are people really love him. You want to talk about somebody that's a rock star, but that's not a night that people are really there for him. They're like, yes, it happens to be Axel Rose singing, but we're here for these AC DC songs. And uh, I don't know, I mean that tells me that tells me something about him, you know, that uh, he, it doesn't automatically turn into the Axel show just because he's there. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but it, it, all indications are that that was basically sort of a, a one-time thing to finish off that tour. There are rumors that they will tour with Brian Johnson, uh, you know, in relation to some new material that's going to come out. I don't know if it's a compilation or something. So, uh, that'll sort of, we're going to do something with Axel. 
yeah, there an was, album. I think that kind of died out. I think that died down. I, I, because I, I had heard that, but I don't know. Uh, but speaking of albums with Axel, obviously Guns N' Roses were on tour for three years. Do you are you hoping that uh, those guys all get in the studio? So Axel slash Duff and you know everybody else, but those are the three that we really care about. Uh, would you like to see what they can what they can come out of the studio with? Oh, absolutely. Like I said earlier, it, for me, it's always about, look, my favorite bands, I just want more music from you. It's okay if you never play it live. I just, I, you know, especially a band like GNR whose catalog is so small yeah, that you'd like something else into the mix. And let's see where they're all at. Uh, both Duff and Slash were very complimentary toward Chinese democracy, which I appreciated. And they played some of the songs. Yeah. Out no, on the th- and, and, and then, so, and then like late in the tour, they started even uh, doing that one velvet revolver song. You know, they, they kind of mixed it up a little bit, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so we're again, they're all, it seems they're all okay with each other. Yeah. I mean, they, they managed to sling it out for three years and I got some notice from the fan club. Cause of course I'm in the fan club uh, a couple weeks ago about, like, no, we're not done, and that something's coming. Yeah. And I don't know what that is. I, I just bought my GNR whiskey glasses <laughs> that are etched across, and they have a bullet in them because I was like, I hope that's not what was coming. But of yeah. course, I suckered in and bought them. Yeah. Because, by the way, if, if it were Kiss and it was long after the, the end of the road tour, the actual final show, they'd be like, don't worry, something's coming. It would be whiskey glasses, and it would be, <laughs> it would be the Kiss corset, and, you yes, know, yes. the. The Kiss musket cleaner for Civil War reenactors. You know, don't they're they're all out there. Uh, anyway, Carson, uh, it is always so much fun to just get to chat with you, but to really get to talk rock and roll, as I said in the intro here on the Blackcast. And please let everybody know all the different ways they can find you online, on the radio, and anywhere else they might find you. Oh, all the socials: Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. It's Carson on air. That's C A R S E N. On air, and then uh, Big D and Bob in the morning, and then I have my own show, Country with Carson, in the middays on country stations all over the country, and um, also starting into the podcast stuff, but I'll figure that out. I don't yeah. Now, obviously, if you're starting to get into that, there's not any real answers. But uh, do you feel like that would be a good outlet for you to not necessarily stay in the country lane because that's what you're doing on the radio? Would it be it's kind of a good opportunity to do, I don't know, a, a talk slash interview show that maybe wasn't specific on one kind of music? Maybe it also... Yeah. Actually, the thought that I want to do it with a friend of mine who's also extremely passionate about music and where we're going to start our first podcast. I think we're going to launch it right around when the rock and roll hall of fame airs on HBO because, uh, ultimate classic rock released a list. Uh, they ranked every Def Leppard song. Oh, nice. <laughs> and so we decided we are going to take on, and we're only going to do it the top 30. Cause okay. like to go through a hundred, 150, nobody cares about listening to us for that long, but we figure that's a good place to start because we have both such a, passion for the band i was at the rock hall the whole thing and like you said it's a way for me to still talk about rock and yeah they do i don't know if you guys have this in la but we have um we have a podcast convention here in nashville once a year where it's a bunch of like these 80s guys who oh. you can interview for your podcast oh no yeah they have podcast conventions here but they don't have that that sounds amazing i would i would yeah, love to do that one 
Yeah. yeah, so I think I'm going to do that in August. And a lot of these guys, like Kip Winger lives here. Mark, some of the guys Mark, from Night Mark Slaughter lives there, I know, because I, I interviewed him a, a, about a year and a half, maybe even two years ago now. Wow, time flew. But, yeah, so many <laughs> rock guys live in Nashville. It's, you know, just bands that are still active. That just happens to be where they live, you know? So, yeah, uh, yeah. so you're in a great spot for that. Yeah, well, that's the idea. Keep an eye at Carson on air. I know I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to have to look for this uh, classic rock uh, list. And I have to see where Let's Get Rocked ranks on it and see if I if I can agree with uh, where they've placed it. Anyway, uh, thanks so much. Uh, we'll have to do this again soon. It's It's uh, been too long. And uh, if you do see Kiss, what, it's in a couple weeks or it's it's really soon, it's right? Next week. Next week. Not, yeah. All right. So uh, see, that, that might be all the more reason to uh, have you back maybe just for a few minutes. But again... At Carson on, on air everywhere. And for me, I'm at Christian DMZ. And you can find The Black Cast on Facebook. Go ahead and give us the thumbs up. At Black Cast. B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. That's all for now. But we will see you next time on The Black Cast. Give it